Okay, chapter 12. Uh, very interesting. Uh, John sees a great sign in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay, so who is the woman? Israel. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but true Israel. Okay. Or you could say the Old Testament church. Uh, we know that from, obviously Christ comes from Israel, but also the way she's described, the moon under her feet, she's clothed with the sun and the crown of 12 stars. Remember, Joseph's dream about the moon and the stars bowing down to him. And that was his parents, and his dad was called Israel, Jacob. Okay, Israel. So the moon and stars often used to symbolize Israel. So from ethnic Israel or true Israel comes who? Who's the baby? Jesus. Jesus. But at the same time, there's a great red dragon who comes with a third of the stars. Who's that? Satan and fallen angels, a third of the angels. Okay, and they come down to earth and they try to devour the child. But this child is caught up to God and to his throne. That's the ascension of Christ. Okay. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So, you see, then this is the true people of God who are now, for this period of time, this three and a half years, in the wilderness. Okay, And that's, that's the image, imagery that the, the New Testament authors use to describe the Christian life. It's a pilgrimage. It, this is not our home. We're in a wilderness. And Satan is trying to destroy us. He's going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So again, you see the period of time there, 1,260. I had it wrong here. Not 1,260. 1,260. Okay, see how it fits together? Okay, and Satan is thrown down to earth, and uh, again, look at verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Okay? Three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time. Okay, but it makes him very angry. The devil is made very angry. 
chapter 13, we see the first beast. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Uh, what is the, the sea often descriptive of in... Yes, of judgment. That's correct. So, yeah, that's often how it's used. But then, what other way is it used? Because Psalm 2, people's raging, okay? It's often describes the people, nations. Okay, that's, that's how seas and waters are also used to describe the uh, people. So, there's this beast who comes out of the sea, out of the nations, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and it's, it's a grotesque beast. It's like an amalgamation of all different funny animals. But it's incredibly powerful, and it's given authority for, verse 5, for 42 months. Then there's a second beast in verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. So this one beast comes out of the seas, out of the, the waters, out of humanity and out of the nations and is grotesque but incredibly powerful. Okay, This first beast... is political power. Okay. The second beast actually looks quite lovely. Looks like a lamb. Okay. So it looks cute, cute and cuddly. But it has the voice of a dragon. So externally it looks lovely and harmless and helpful, but internally it's demonic. Okay? And it's what it speaks. It has the voice of a dragon. So Remember, Satan can appear as an angel of light. Um, the, the, the Lord Jesus spoke about how do you tell a false teacher? It's by his fruit, and then he goes on to speak about what comes out of his mouth. Okay? That's how you're able to tell a false teacher, what comes out of his, his mouth. So this second beast is the mouthpiece for the first beast, and he is the religious system or the false prophet. Okay, so the first beast is Antichrist, the second beast is the false prophet. And you have an unholy trinity because you also have the dragon. Who is? Satan, the devil, okay. Um, also called that old serpent, the devil, okay. So people who say Genesis is not literal, um, it's just a story. Well, we're actually told that old serpent, that's the devil. Okay. <laughs> uh, so obviously Satan is trying to be God, God the Father. The Antichrist is imitation of Christ. And the false prophet, the false prophet you'll see, we don't have time to go into it all, but he... He, tries to, he is trying to get people to worship the beast. What does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, John 14 and 16. Christ. He reveals Christ. He, he doesn't point to himself. He points us to Christ. He wants people to worship Christ. 
And that's what the false prophet does. He's trying to make people worship the Antichrist. Now, uh, while I believe there will be a final incarnation of these, this is, again, is descriptive of this period of time. The political system of the world is demonic, okay? is Antichrist. The religious system of the world is Antichrist and is pro the political system. Okay? That's going to characterize all of history. And at the time, we'll see just now, Rome, Rome is where it's all happening. Rome is Babylon. Rome is the political system that controls the planet and has the religious system as well. So all false religion, it looks nice. It looks like a lamb. I mean, the people say nice things. Love one another. Be nice to your neighbor. Can't we just get along? Let's tolerate one another. Whatever it is. But they're actually pushing us to submit to the political system. Now, the political system will persecute the church. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it was in the time of Rome. And that will characterize this period of time. So, the only time that you don't have much of it is, is often by God's grace, the influence of the gospel, or else the church is in bed with the government. Okay? Like the Church of England, or the Enchia Church in South Africa. Uh, wherever that's happened, I'm not saying everyone who's part of those churches is is necessarily evil, but it's a compromise. They're, they're, who is who is the head of the Church of England? The Queen. What? <laughs> I mean, how can you be part of the Church of England if the Queen is the head of you? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, uh, but there are good people who, who do that. But it's at w at best it's stupid, at worst it's demonic. Okay, because you're aligning yourself with a, the first beast. It's the political structure. We believe in separation of church and state. Uh, the, the church is, is independent. No queen can tell you what to do. No king, no president, no human being has authority over the word of God and over his church. So, uh, th these are the structures, these are the systems that are in place that are going to characterize this period of, of history. Okay, and they're going to be against the church. Again, he turns his attention to the church in chapter 14, the 144,000. And in verse 8 of chapter 14, we introduce to another another uh, image, another person, another symbol. Verse 8, another angel is second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Turn to chapter 17. So again, we have the, the, the plagues and the bowls being poured out, which again are just a whole lot of ways you can die. So in chapter 17, we see the great prostitute and the beast. And uh, verse 1 says, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And it goes on to talk about all her immorality. Uh, verse 6, towards the end, it says, John says, When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, etc. 
then he goes on to say, verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Okay, so Babylon is, we are, which city is founded on seven mountains? Rome. Rome. Okay. Uh, we saw that with Peter, didn't we? Um, how does he word it? Those are in Babylon greet you. Okay. And we remember we are we showed that there's no record of him ever going to actual Babylon. In fact, that was a wasteland. But we know he was in Rome, and Rome is now the symbol of Babylon. Babylon that was you know destroyed the people of God and was everything ungodly is replaced by Rome. And you see that even in the in Daniel's vision of the kingdoms. The last kingdom is the Roman kingdom, which I believe is still continuing today. You might say, oh, the Roman Empire was, fell long ago, when, what's it, 410, when Rome was invaded. But uh, the Roman system continues. Roman law, uh, English is a derivative of Latin, okay, language continues. The, the structure, Roman structure, continues in the Western world, but that continues to expand in, in influence. Uh, the Roman roads, all that infrastructure has continued to expand across the planet. And all of those things, that way of doing things, which is not evil in and of itself, but the whole system is anti-Christ. Okay? Uh, it's, it's not, it's this. And at that time, especially, you could see it because you had these men who were on the throne who were saying, Domine et Deus, Lord and God, worship me. Okay, remember we spoke when we looked at Mark's gospel, the Son of God. That's what they saw themselves as, the Son of God. There they are in Rome, controlling the known world, persecuting the people of God. And Babylon represents the, the immorality, the sinfulness. Okay, so uh, Babylon is a is a, a harlot, a prostitute, and so we see again, like we saw in Re in Proverbs, two women. Remember in Proverbs, Solomon says to his son, "There's really two women." There's Proverbs seven. There's the prostitute, and then there's Proverbs eight. There's wisdom. There's two women again in Revelation. There's the harlot Babylon and there's the bride of Christ, Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, which one are you part of? That's again. But as you break them down, it's very interesting. These are the three ways that Satan attacks the church, the people of God. So one of the ways the devil has tried to exterminate Christianity is through political persecution, through the governments. Governments kill Christians. They say we outlaw Christianity. Uh, in in its worst case, they actually kill Christians. Sometimes they just throw them in jail. Sometimes it's just illegal, but they don't do much. But persecution is one of the ways that Satan tries to destroy the people of God through the political structure. What about through religion? False teaching. Compromise. He's trying to he's trying to deceive us. He's trying to deceive the people of God, trying to get them to believe lies, to take false teachings, all the 
you know, most of the, 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 the epistles that we read were dealing with false teaching. He's trying to trick and, and, and deceive. And then seduction. Materialism, sexual immorality. He wants people to, to say, oh, sure, this is too difficult, I'm just going to go with the flow. All my friends are living like this and they're having a great time. Oh, this is just too difficult. So, <clears throat> as you go through Revelation, well, world history is going to be characterized. The devil is going to try and destroy the people of God through political means, through religious means, and through temptation. But he can't destroy the true church. Okay. Uh, that's what he cannot do. And Babylon is judged and destroyed, and the beast is judged and destroyed, and the dragon and all of them are are judged and destroyed or thrown into the, the lake of fire. Any questions so far? I've got a question, but it's not really related. It's yeah. to the thousand years on your yes. timeline. Where, where is that? Okay, we can we get into that right oh, now. We're okay. That. okay. So now chapter 19, we have a rider on a white horse. Earlier on in Revelation, we were told about... Uh, the the, um, peop the judgment of people so that their blood the blood of the of people being slaughtered is up to a horse's bridle. Okay, but the language that used is used is that of a, a wine press. Okay, so a wine press. Maybe you've seen it on TV as well. People go to Spain or whatever for a holiday and then they go and jump on the grapes and uh, and they go and stand on the grapes and it it obviously produces all the the grape juice and it's it's all red and everything. So here you get a description of people being crushed, okay, so that their blood is squashed out, okay. And there's so much squashing of people that the blood is up to a horse's uh, bridle. And you're thinking, what's a horse doing in the wine press? <laughs> well, now we now we see. Verse 11 of chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now who's that? Jesus. Can you see how you could you could say the, the first white horse may well have been Jesus? His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So he's sitting on a horse, but his clothes are dipped in blood. Well, he was riding that horse. And the blood came up to the horse's bridle and caught on his, his robes as he destroyed his enemies. Okay. This is the end of the world. Okay. And everyone is killed. Look at verse 21. Well, look at verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who is who in who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Okay. Chapter 20 now talks about the thousand years, or the millennium. So premillennialists say 
the Lord's going to return and set up a thousand year reign. And I don't know if you remember when we were looking at Isaiah 65, the new heavens and the new earth, and then he mentions sin. Okay, maybe you don't, but anyway. He's going to set up his, there's going to be a new Jerusalem and a temple, and he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. And all the Christians are going to be there that, with their glorified bodies. But the people who are alive now, who are left alive, are going to now inhabit the planet and have children. They're still going to be able to sin, but not as badly. Okay, They won't sin so terribly. They'll be chastened because the Lord's going to rule and it's going to be a good rule. What I say to those people is, where do those people come from that are going to inhabit the planet? No, they're going to be... But if I read chapter 19, the last verse is very clear. Those who were not killed in this way were killed in this way. Every human being is slaughtered at the return of Christ. There are no humans left to inhabit in chapter 20. Okay? That's just a, a little point. Okay? But an important point. Okay? <laughs> if you've got no people to inhabit in the, the thousand years. Okay, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. This is chapter 20. Holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be released for a little, for a little while. Okay. Whereas if it's cyclical, then yeah, that's the end of the world. But now he has another perspective of the same event. Satan is bound for a thousand year period in which he can no longer deceive the nation. So it tells you exactly how he's bound. Okay. He's a spiritual being. There's not like special titanium chains that he's bound with. Okay. It's, it's symbolic language. He is bound in the sense that the nations are no longer deceived. So in the Old Testament, were there, were there lots of South Africans being saved? Chinese, South Americans. If you were born 100 BC in South Africa, where would you spend eternity? In hell. There was the odd Gentile saved. But the nations were being deceived. The nations were being deceived. Christ comes, and what does he say in Matthew, I think it's 12? How do you plunder a strong man's house? I mean, only the Lord Jesus could. <laughs> Teaching moment. Guys, how do you rob a house? Okay. <laughs> Disciples? You buy Yeah, you buy yeah. <laughs> That's right. So what what is the Lord Jesus doing now? What did he do on the cross? He bound the strong man. He bound Satan. And he's plundering. He's plundering the nations. Okay? And in fact, the language that's used to describe us is that of jewels in elsewhere in Scripture. We are the treasure. He's plundering. He's taking from all the nations, South Africans, English, Germans, Chinese, Brazilians, Puerto Ricans, everywhere, all over the planet. They've been brought in. That they, they're no longer deceived. They're no longer blind. We're no longer blinded. We're no longer just damned. 
We're being brought in, and that's how the gospel went out. You read the book of Acts, and there's this evangelistic explosion, because he's bound. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. So, yeah, let me just say, my brothers who hold a different view, in the millennium, they'll say, pick up the newspaper, uh, man raped ten women. Nice, eh? Satan's bound. Good one. Uh, looks like he's pretty active to me. But it's not fair. You're not reading the text. It says how it tells us how he's bound. It doesn't say there's no more sin, there's no more temptation. It says he may no longer deceive the nations. And that people from all the nations will be saved. That's that's telling you the limitation. It's not saying he's he, he has no effect on the planet anymore. The rest of Revelation tells us that he has big effect. But in this area, in the area of the conversion of Gentiles. He cannot stop that from happening. Say the Lord Jesus bound him. Okay. Uh, and I mentioned to you, remember Jude and Peter? The angels that left their first estate have been bound in chains of darkness, gloomy darkness. When did they leave their first estate? Well, when they fell. Demons have been bound in a certain sense all the time. You can't say oh, that's just some of them. It tells you those that left their first estate have been bound. All the demons are bound in some way because I'll, I'll, if I say to the, my brothers who have a different view and I say, so the devil can do what he likes. No, no, he's limited by God. Oh, so he's bound by God. We, we all agree he's bound. Unless we flaming Arminians or something. <laughs> uh, you know, that the devil's got free will and... Anyway... Um, we all agree he's bound. Every every Christian who believes in the sovereignty of God must say Satan is bound in some way. Just saying, he is bound here. He's bound that the nations can be saved. Okay. It doesn't mean there's still not that there isn't going to be evil and there isn't going to be temptation and all sorts of things. But people from every nation will be saved, and they will they will be in heaven. Yes. Sorry. So there is no thousand-year period. Not there literally. Is, not literally. Okay. That I get. And then in terms of... Although at the time, sorry. Yes? Around about a thousand AD, the guys were... It was like the Y2K of, the, of their time. They were checking Jesus. Jesus is coming back around about now. It's about a thousand years. Okay. So, so there were some who read it literally. And in terms of Satan being bound, um, are we saying that he is currently bound against those who have been saved? Or he's going to be bound so that people can be saved? He, he was, he's been bound this whole period. So remember, this, okay. the thousand years is the same period as the three and a half years. So Jesus said that. How do you plunder the strong man? You bind him. And on the cross, he bound Satan. He conquered him. So he has been bound so that people like you and me can be saved. Okay? And not just limited to primarily uh, ethnic Jews. Okay? So now it's, there's this explosion to all the nations, people being saved.
Okay, then he sees thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so this is where, you know, lots of ink is spilt on this, but let me, as I understand it. If there's a first resurrection, there must be a, if he's emphasizing a first resurrection, there must be a second resurrection. If there's a second death, there must be a first death, okay. What do you think is the first resurrection? Salvation. Yeah, salvation. Okay. Uh, so it's not talking about Christ here. Yeah? Yeah. So you're right. He's the first resurrection, and we're the we're in Him. But it's talking about all those who didn't take the the mark of the beast on their forehead or their hand, who never yielded to to Satan. So it's talking about believers. The first resurrection is when you're made spiritually alive. Okay. Uh, John says that in his gospel, he says, you passed from death to life at conversion. Okay. That's the first resurrection. The second resurrection is when we get our glorified bodies. Okay. The first death is when people die, just physically. The second death is when they cast into hell. Those who partake of the first resurrection never partake of the second death. Those who partake of the first resurrection rule and reign with Christ. Okay. So that's what I was saying earlier. Through our prayers, through fight when you, when you resisted the urge today to lose your temper by God's grace and you overcame it, uh, you whatever it is, you overcame some pride or lust or envy, you conquered. Okay? Uh, you, you, you ruled and reigned with Christ. Okay? When, you, when you shared the gospel, uh, that's, that's, remember we, we, used, we spoke about all the imagery in the Old Testament of the, the physical fighting and now we're doing spiritual fighting. Okay? And that's conquering and ruling and reigning with Christ. That's happening now because the argument is that can't be happening now because the world is such a mess and even the church is a mess. Okay, <laughs> so it can't be happening now. It must be happening. Must happen here. But this is an unveiling. This is showing you reality. Okay, that even though, as I said, our lives can feel so silly and small and useless, and and this is this is why it's so helpful. You're actually, we're part of something cosmic. Uh, we're, we're, as we pray and as we resist that little temptation and we overcome it, we're, we're conquering by God's grace. And no matter what Satan throws at us, just think of the might of the, of the political structure of the world. The power, uh, the, the, yeah, the, the, the wealth and the all of that, what they can do. And the religious systems of the world, all the billions of people that 
billion Muslims and all sorts, new age spirituality, false teachers, cults, all of those things, all the temptations. This is probably the one that's biggest for us at the moment. Materialism, the billboards, the sensuality, all of those things that Satan and his hordes and all, they're out to get us, to destroy us. And in our, with our weak faith, just praying a prayer, Lord, please keep me and bring justice and mercy upon me. We're victorious in Christ. Okay, So that's why it's such an encouraging book to show us this is reality. If you look with your physical eyes, you'll want to give up. You'll say, I look at last week, I haven't changed much. In fact, I've maybe got worse than last week. Um, my spiritual walk, the church, we, you know, the church universal is always dividing and fighting and things and is this and that and the next thing and Islam's on the grow on the increase and all of these things. But when I see this, this is reality. This is the unveiling. See with spiritual eyes. Okay. No matter what comes against you and me, the victory is ours. I forgot to mention when we were talking about the two witnesses. The two witnesses, remember, they die. Well, they seem to die. So Satan is released. It goes on in chapter 20 to say, Satan is released just before the end. And so I see, so let's see, this is the growth of the church over time. When you take Thessalonians, you take Revelation 20, you take, I think it's chapter 11, about the witnesses dying. At the end, there will be a great falling away. That's what, remember what Paul says? That day won't come until there's a great falling away. Revelation 20 says Satan will be released and he's, he's going to go on the warpath. So right at the end he's going to be released. The church is going to be so pummeled it's going to look as though it dies. Because all its so-called friends will leave it. All the false converts will run away. And it's going to look like it's dead in the streets. But it's a short period of time. It's three and a half days. It's not a long period of time. But then it comes to life again because it cannot be destroyed and it's caught up into heaven. So, uh, if we live there, it's going to be dark times. Okay. If God calls us to live through this period, my understanding, as I as I read Revelation and I put it all together with the the epistles. Be ready for a difficult, difficult time. Okay, but again, the encouragement is God's people will persevere, even if it looks to the world like the church is dead and everyone's so happy because you know those intolerant bigots are out of the way, and they they even you know they they change Christmas to Death of Church Day or something, <laughs> and they give each other presents and. Uh, um, The true church cannot be destroyed. And when the Lord says, come, she'll come, and then he's going to come and pour out his wrath on his enemies. Uh, but just to tell you that, so, uh, there will be dark times just before the return of the Lord. The darkest, whether they say the darkest hour, is always just before the sun rises. So what is three and a half days? Three and a half days is this period. No, no, but, but, but what is that? Is it... It's not a literal three and a half days. No. What is no. that? 
Well, unless you take the three and a half years and everything else literally, then you would say it is three and a half. Then it's a very short period of time. I don't know how the church could die in three and a half days. I think it's just three and a half years is a short period of time compared to three and a half years. So it's just saying it's not long. It's a... Okay, then, sorry, chapter 21 then is the new heaven and the new earth. So that's not where it ends, okay, it doesn't end there. The Lord returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. It's a happy ending okay. if you're on the right side. Okay, so um, verse 9 then came this is chapter 21 then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb so remember our hermeneutical principle come i'll show you the bride what do you expect to see the bride. a bride what does he see verse 10 and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. But it is it is the bride. The bride is the new Jerusalem. And the way he explains the city now with 12 gates, 12 foundations, and he says the 12 foundations are the, verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That fits with Ephesians 2.20. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's, it's symbolic. Okay, the church, the foundation of the church is apostolic teaching, the word of God. Um, but it's, it's there. Okay, uh, again, remember it's a cube. The dimensions are cubic. And we saw when we looked at the temple. When we looked at the temple, the holiest of holies was a cube. Where God's presence was in a special way. His presence is in a special way with his people. It says there's no sea, not literally. It just means there's no more judgment, no more raging nations, no more chaos. Uh, it's, it's symbolic language. And then he ends with verse 12. The Lord says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense or my reward with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to, to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take wa the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Any questions or comments?
But where Christ is riding on the white horse, mm-hmm. the last chapter, chapter 19. Chapter 19. Yeah. And it says that his robe is dipped in blood. Is it the blood of his sacrifice or the blood of those he comes to destroy? I think if you link it with the previous one, that the blood is up to the horse's bridle, mm-hmm. and he's riding a horse, and his robe is, is dipped in the blood, mm-hmm. I think it's the judgment of his enemies. Okay, so um, we're trying to organize a year in function. Leila's busy with that. Um, so we'll keep you updated on that. And then, yeah, people can start registering for next year, so please just tell other people, advertise it, you know, it's open to anyone. Um, and of course, if you want to do it again, it's fine. You feel that you. Uh, you want to, and you can do that for free. Don't have to. Then you just have to know the answers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Remember the dates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very no, much. no, no, thank you. It's, my, it's a privilege. Well, let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for this this beautiful book of Revelation that is so rich and so so encouraging father we do pray that you would help us to see uh, with the eyes of faith to see the hidden reality to see that you are in control and you are keeping your people no matter what the devil throws at them and that you will win the victory father help us to live with this uh, cosmic global mindset father Keep us from uh, small thoughts of you and small thoughts of this salvation. It's an incredible salvation. The angels long to, to understand what's going on. They long to understand how you could have mercy upon us and save people like us and make us uh, fellow heirs with you, Lord Jesus, and, and co-workers with you. What an amazing privilege. Father, we do pray you would keep us, keep us from false teaching and being deceived keep us from seduction Father especially in our, our current climate where we're bombarded with it uh, forgive us for our sins forgive us for uh, not trusting you for not obeying your word as we should Father we how we thank you that there is forgiveness in, in your son the Lord Jesus thank you that we have we know that new song the song of the redeemed Father, we pray for many more to sing it as well in our land. And so please do this. Please use us. Please use us over this festive season to invite others to church. And please bless our endeavors. Please keep everyone safe. If they go away on holiday, just protect them. And keep us all from temptation. And we do say with, with John, Lord Jesus, we, we do long for you to come quickly. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.